God's word to us today. And I commit your prayer as together we uh, wend our way through the plans of God. And uh, it is one of those practically impossible passages of scripture to get one sermon and stay with your point from. <laughs> so if I go wandering around, just have some patience with me. However, I want to thank you for the presence, your presence here today, and especially for the presence of God. Um, we have begun working our way through the theme called Living Loud by Faith, in Love, and with Hope. September, October, November. And in between, we have other important events that will take place. But we trust that in this journey, God will inspire you. God will transform you. And God will work in you and in me some things that we could never otherwise experience. And so I begin with the concept of dream. This organization cherishes dreams according to its tradition. For a person to become a child of God, they had to have a vision, a dream. And this dream must include the concept of liquid, either water or blood. The elders of the congregation will then interpret that to mean that they have encountered Jesus Christ, the one who shed his blood for us. The person will then be, be, be interviewed and out of that testimony, they will verify whether indeed and in truth they have encountered Jesus Christ and they have been born again. And that is followed by baptism. That was the tradition in this particular organization, this Christian group. And part of it came out of a lack of the ability to read and write based on their tradition and their upbringing. But then, on the other hand, there was a sense in which they expected that God can speak to the heart. And for some people, they will have to spend many nights in the woods. There's a specific place you have to go in the woods. Uh, a certain spot, and you stay there, and you seek God in prayer until that vision or that dream comes in. What has been your encounter with God? How does one know that you have encountered this God? And it seems to me that is what First Thessalonians is all about. Because you see, God has a way of showing us that he has plans for us in different ways. You see, I want to believe that the background of our text is rooted in the concept of God speaking to us in ways we had not imagined would take place. Matter of fact, one can even go back to say that the concept of dreams may have been taken by this particular organization from what has been seen in the Old Testament. Joseph had dreams. Abraham had dreams. Peter and Paul had dreams. But it's not just the dream. What will determine whether that dream is valid is the outcome of the dream. The effect of that experience on one's life. And hence we see in the experience of Paul that it is quite likely that they were not motivated by intuition and emotions and feelings or dreams. It seems to me that Paul and his companions, Silas and later on Luke, they were the kind of people that uh, had their own plans, their own logical decisions, hard facts, planned events, 
That is what fueled their missionary motivation on this second missionary journey. And so they were on their way. But somehow God was seeking to ask to grasp their attention. Because the Holy Spirit evidently intercepted their own missionary progress and intervened in their ministry plans for his own purpose. Case in point, Acts chapter 17 and verses 6, 7, and 8, we read these words. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas were Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. By these reports. And so here is Paul and, 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 uh, and his, uh, his companion Silas seeking to live out their life for God. Seeking to go in the way God wanted them to do. Or wanted them to go. But somewhere along the line, it was not sufficient for them to simply go the way they wanted. It says in the 10th ne- verse going on, it talks about Paul and Silas going to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if these things were so. It talked about Paul preaching in Athens. Actually, I am in the wrong section. I'm ahead of myself. Go back to chapter 16 with me, please. And chapters and verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Persia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave our for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And so we find then that there is that definite intervention of God in spite of their plans. And Luke confirmed that by saying, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. The implication to me in that statement is, there's a lot of discussion when Paul woke up the next morning and said, I had a vision. And this is what my vision was. You had a vision, but we had some plans. And it does not go with our plans. Why would we bypass three cities to go to Thessalonica to preach God's word? What about these people? We didn't touch them in our first missionary journey. Why shouldn't we touch them now? And so one can imagine a lot of discussion taking place, but at the end of it all, Paul, uh, Luke writes... We concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And so by the spirit promptings they moved on. It is out of this background of the call of God. 
and Paul's friends that they went on their way towards the place where God wanted them. The wisdom of Paul was challenged and the will of God was questioned lightly. Because can you imagine what happened when they were in Thessalonica? They did not have a good time. It was a time of persecution. It was a time of hardship. And any time there is a case of hardship when we make certain decisions, we question whether we made the right decision. Isn't that what happens with many of us at times? Your call, my call, could have been questioned by spouses or brothers or sisters or friends or neighbors or colleagues, making us having second thoughts. And am I really sure that God has done this for me? So it is no wonder that Luke could have written, for the sake of those of us who are readers of that information, that God confirmed through that vision. And after the discussion, they agreed that they would go on to do exactly what God wanted them to do. And if one were to summarize the results of that decision to speak the word in Thessalonica, based on a vision from God, one can simply say, God's plans are not always our plans, neither are God's ways our ways and thoughts our thoughts. In other words, the way God sees things are vastly different from ours. It appears that the new believers in this place, their response to the gospel indeed was an encouragement to the Apostle Paul, to Silas, and no doubt to Luke, who is the writer of this information in the gospel of in the, the, book, the book of Acts. And in our text, the first three verses, or rather the second, third, and fourth verses, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly as we pray to our God and Father about you. Constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of your because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we find that Paul writing to the Thessalonians was reminding them of the importance of their response to the gospel as a significant encouragement to their hearts based on the things that have happened before and he mentioned that later on. So it appears that these new believers were so fired up with their lives that they loudly bore witness to this life-changing experience that they had with God. In other words, their lives were speaking out to the fact that they resisted persecution for the sake of entering a relationship with God regardless. They were faithful. The words of verse 10 which affirms that in the Message Bible reads thus, Do you know that all over the province of Macedonia, Adachia, believers look up to you? The word has gone around. Your lives are echoing the Master's word. Not only in the province, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You, you're the message. You're the message. So those of us who are called on a mission with God... Those of us who are called to uh, follow God in this sense of a call, we too will be challenged at various points of our lives. Paul is reminding us 
And then we are therefore reminded by Paul that in those times look for evidence of God in our lives. Look for evidence in the lives of those whom God has called us to serve. And so Paul in his letter is commending the Thessalonian Christians as models of practical faith, of engaging love, and of inspiring hope. And as we look at this text today, I would like to take the, uh, the form of an acronym for F-A-I-T-H from several words. Because it seems to me that when we look at the word faith, there are some things we can learn from it. Number one is fidelity. Faith is about fidelity. And faith is impossible if there is no relationship. There has to be some relationship because faith has to do with that community experience. And so we see for these people that a new love because of a new covenant and a new loyalty and a commitment to God demanded certain expectations of them. Would they be found true to that, faithful to that? So fidelity is one of those practices. Verse 9 tells us about that. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a changing of commitment in relationship. They were first idolaters or idol worshippers. Now they are God worshippers. The true and living God is their focus. He is the center point of their relationship. Not only with himself, but with one another. It was a community, a communal experience. And therefore, it demanded them not only to have fidelity, which is important in any relationship, that dependence to do what we are called to do and to be what we are called to be, but it involves accountability. Because I am part of a group, I am accountable to that group, and that group is accountable to me. It's an awareness that my actions and my ability to demonstrate love are being looked on. I'm being regarded for what I'm doing as a person of faith. Am I one who practices fidelity? Am I one who is open to accountability? Verses 3 and 5. It says, as, as we pray for you to our God and Father, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and enduring hope, you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we have said was true. And you knew of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So accountability is not just about asking somebody if they have done the right thing. It's demonstrating before them that this is the way to do the right thing. And so my actions and attitudes are my accountability to you. And in fact, it should challenge you to ask yourself, are you living this way? But in Paul's place, he was not stopping with himself. He was saying, Jesus Christ is the model. And we have demonstrated that among you. And we thank God that you have now demonstrated the same thing. So that the world can see who we are when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Your life is the message. Your life is the message. Accountability is a matter of concern within the body of Christ. It is a love action 
Not judgmental as some would have us believe. If you were to come Lionel and ask you and ask have you prayed? Have you been reading your scripture? I notice your actions and attitudes been a little bit strange. Oh, is something going on? Can we talk about it? You have two options. I have one, I have two options. I can say, well, it's none of your business. I'm my own person. And believe it or not, many Christians say that. You know? My, my own uh, response is to God, not to you. Well, it's to all of us. It's to all of us. And that's where integrity is the next point that comes into place. Fidelity, accountability, integrity. In other words, what you see is what you got. Integrate my entire personality, all of me, my being, my very personhood is integrated into one. So what I say and what I do often match, ought to. Because it is one of honesty, of truthfulness. Matter of fact, I can see it as the best way for evangelism. Dr. McRae had, a, in the 90s, there was a book, Lifestyle Evangelism. Too much time we want to talk the gospel rather than live the gospel. Integrity demands that we live what we say we believe. Verses 7 and 8. The apostle writes, as a result you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For, for wherever we go, we do find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. That's evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism. Demonstrate into the world that God is a God of transformation. God is a God of change. There is nothing impossible with God. He can turn us around. He can lift us up. He can give us life again. But it must be demonstrated rather than told. And if it is told, it should be demonstrated or illustrated in a life that's telling it. Paul is calling us to that kind of lifestyle. Fidelity, accountability, integrity, and trust. Which is about transparency. Joe, can you trust me if I tell you a story and say it's true? That's what happened in my life. It all depends on how much we have a relationship. If I just come along and say that, it's difficult to grasp, isn't it? But if I were to live out that with you for some time, and you and I have become strong in a relationship, and we are sharing these things together, it's quite likely that you will say, that guy is trustworthy, I believe him. Well, that girl is really good, you know. I mean, what she says, she does. Transparency. No blinders. No curtains. It's open. An open concept in ministry. One is not saying you tell everything but yourself to everyone around. But somewhere along the line in the Christian walk, we have got to be close enough to one another that there's somewhere and someone that when I am struggling, I can talk with them and say, this is what's happening in my life. And we can pray one for the other. Only trust and transparency allows that because you know what happens. People like to talk about others more than they like to talk to God about others. And we need to be aware of that. And so we find in verse 9 the Apostle Paul saying, 
for the keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. People saw it. They didn't just hear it, they saw it. They saw the evidence of change in the life. And we are called into that. And that therefore demonstrates a need for something more in the life of faith. Fidelity, accountability, integrity, trust or transparency, hope. It's a matter of hope, this life that we are called to. A confident desire, an assurance in the waiting of what I cannot see, but what I know is on the way. Because the God that, I, that I'm serving is a God who I, I can trust that will fulfill the promises of his word. And the greatest promises, verse 10, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And so hope is that which keeps us on the journey. Brothers and sisters, fidelity plus accountability plus trust or integrity, trust slash transparency plus hope is what faith is all about. A life of faith is rooted in those practical experiences. You see, why is it important? Because according to Jesus' words, some fake it rather than faith the life. Some honor me with their lips, Jesus says, but their hearts are far from me. And then there are others who face it, but then they walk away from it. James says they look in the mirror, they saw themselves up there, they know what God can do, but they turn away. And Paul is saying, let's face it, let us be what we say we are. Let us demonstrate to the world it's the best challenge that we can offer to the world today in terms of a change. And you and I are aware of the issues that are going on when we listen to the news. The world is in a mess. And unfortunately one must admit some of our churches are in a mess. Because we are not people who are demonstrating fidelity. We are not people who are demonstrating accountability. We are not people who are demonstrating a sense of integrity. We are not a people who are demonstrating a sense of trust and transparency. We are not a people of hope. We are hung up on this life in this present time, not realizing that God has something more for us. So what's your dream? How does it move you? And guide you in the sole prospect of your own Christian walk. What has God made known to you that logic cannot explain and is difficult to tell others what you're about? Quitting your job, moving from your home and coming to Nova Scotia or at least in, Nova, in, the, in this place called Wolfville. My God, what are you doing? How can you explain that? Please, please, what God has made known to you. Be aware it must be communal, by the way. We are called together to be a body of Christ in this place at such a time as this. And God is expecting us to be that to one another. May we develop the kind of faith that will allow us to grow together in that way of support and encouragement. Work that makes... And this would be my interpretation of Psalm 126, verse 1, 2. It's the kind of lifestyle that makes God show up and show off. The Lord, when the Lord restored the captive to Zion, the world said the Lord has done great things for them. 
And the people replied, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. That's odd to me. That's evangelism. Evangelism is that which makes people ask the question, what's going on? What's it about you that's different? What have you got that I don't know about? Because they can see something different in us rather than hear something different from us. God has called us to that. So what's your dream? What's your vision that is to be shared with the family of God for support and encouragement in the journey of faith? Just about a couple of days ago, 50 years of one person's dream was celebrated. And a part of his dream said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will live where they will not be judged the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A dream that one day little black boys, little black girls, and little white boys and little white girls will be sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain be made low. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. What's your dream? What has God given you in mind that you're passionate about to follow, cause you to be here, and to be leaving here to make a difference in the world, and to make the world a different place wherever he sends you to serve? What's your passion that you find difficult to explain to others? And you just have to live it out to let them see that there is a God who does awesome things in one's life. See, I had a dream. I had a dream when I left 35 years ago, my country where I grew up, and traveled to ABC in Mountain, New Brunswick. I had a dream, but I struggled with that dream. Remember the first year I was there, I was still, uh, it's in the prayer room, and something said to me, what are you doing here? Wife and three children, your wife is working, she has to have babysitters in your hair studying, saying, God called you? What kind of God is that? And I remember wrestling with that. And then before I left that prayer room, God said to me, I call you now, at this time of your life, to be a student. I'll take care of the rest. And I said, God, if you're going to take care of the rest, you've got to join my family and I together before the next school year begins. That was an impossible task for a student. No, t- no chance of working. How do you sponsor your family? And within a year, my family was with me. And I'm here today because God's vision was not a nightmare. It was true. God was able to be there for us. What's your dream? And how can we make this life a better life? Because God is inviting us to make a difference in our world today. The faith we are talking about, my brothers and sisters, is a faith that fuels endurance to the finish line. Many are caught up with the race. Many are caught up with, the, with, with, with others, with participants in the race. God wants us to do two things. It's about the finish line, and it's about the God who gives the victory at the end of that line. Paul is saying that to us. It includes a call to salvation. It includes spiritual beginnings, a a submission to sanctification, ongoing walking and being shaped into the image of Christ. It's a lifelong experience and it allows us to have a generous life of self-giving for the world around about us. I like these closing words I want to leave with you. It's from a, a song by Toby Mac and it's called Speak Life. Toby Max says, some days life feels perfect, other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. 
Though it's crazy, amazing, we can turn our heart with words we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Hope can live or die. So speak life, speak life. To the deadliest, darkest night, speak life, speak life. When the sun won't shine, you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted. Watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope. You speak life. You speak life. 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 But don't speak it with your lips. Live it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I call us today in the name of Jesus Christ in this continued act of faith to surrender ourselves with each moment. Yeah, those assignments are going to be tough sometimes. Sometimes you're looking around, there's no one around. Don't give up. Give it over to the God who says, come to me. Share our dreams within the family of God. Watch God work through us to inform us to inspire us, to transform us, to make a difference, a transformative difference in the world. Let's not speak life only, but let's live life by faith, fidelity, accountability, integrity, trust, transparency, and hope. And God will come true for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.